Bismillah, bismillah, walhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa lah, amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah, fantastic. So today, inshallah ta'ala, we begin Surah At-Takweer, Surah At-Takweer, um, which has a few names. One is the most popular, obviously, being Surah At-Takweer, also uh, Surah Kuwirat, using the verb instead of the uh, mustar. And then, of course, uh, Surah Ida Shamsu Kuwirat, just using the full ayah. This surah has 29 ayat. It is a Mecki surah, and it is actually very early Mecki. Uh, in fact, it was one of the earlier surahs to be revealed. It's uh, according to uh, Jabir ibn Zayd, it is surah number seven. Surah number seven. So, you know, you have Muddathir and Muzammir Iqra, right? And you also have, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, surah Qalam, Anun. Uh, and and so, so you just have a few surahs. And then what? Number seven is surah uh, Taqweer. So, very early uh, Mecki. Interesting fact about this surah that there are no commands, an amr, awamr. There's no, there's no amr in this surah. There's no command. What does that mean? That this entire surah is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's just description. The whole thing is, just, is there's no command in it. In terms of questions, there's two questions only. Uh, for what sin? For what infraction? For what violation was this young baby girl killed? Uh, as we're going to get to, I'm sure those of you that know the surah know what I'm talking about. But anyway, this is one question. And then at the end, the concluding remarks of the surah is what? Where are you going? This is ayah number 26. So two questions in the surah. In terms of names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you only have in the very last ayah, ayah number 29, the name of Allah Rabbul Alameen. That's how this surah ends. So it's very interesting that the entire surah is describing what will happen on Judgment Day, and you don't find that Allah is saying that He is the one doing it. Allah could have said, إِذَا كَوَّرَ اللَّهُ الشمس. When Allah Ta'ala is the one who wraps the sun. But Allah Ta'ala didn't say it was him. When it is wrapped. It is in the uh, majhul or passive voice. And we're going to talk about why in a moment, inshallah. So it's all passive. And then only at the end, finally, Allah Ta'ala says, uh, mentions himself in the final ayah. So it's interesting from that perspective. Now, what are the correlations? I'm going to do quite a bit of introduction here. But bear with me. Uh, in terms of the previous surah, this is surah 81. The previous surah is surah 80, which is surah. Anybody know surah 80? Abasa. Somebody say Abasa? MashaAllah. Whoever said it, great. <laughs> surah Abasa. So what are some correlations? Well, both in Surah Abasa and the Surah before that, which is Surah Naziat, you have descriptions, brief descriptions of Judgment Day. That's not the primary uh, subject matter, but it is touched upon in, uh, in Surah Abasa, I number 33, and in Surah Naziat, I number 34. So you do have some mentions of Judgment Day. This Surah now goes into detail. So you, it's almost as if Allah Ta'ala is dealing with other subjects, but introducing the concept of Judgment Day, and then you have this surah that goes into much bigger detail. At the uh, Surah 80, Surah Abasa, it ended by describing how human beings will be on that day. How will human beings be on Judgment Day, right? That's the ending of it from uh, Ayat 34 to 42. Now in this surah, you have the beginning of the surah going into great detail, not about necessarily human beings, but about everything else. How will everything else be on Judgment Day? So you see a, a, um, a, co a continuity between the two surahs, the ending and the beginning of both. In uh, the previous surah, Surah Abasa, in ayah number 13, we learn about the suhuf, the scrolls, the pages, re referring to revelation. And in this surah, in ayah number 10, we find the suhuf are now referring to what? People's deeds being spread out, your, your pages of your deeds. So you see a, a parallel, that the term suhuf is mentioned in both, but in reference to two different things, one being your, the revelation and then your book of deeds. So there's an interesting parallel there as well. Also in Surah Abasa, you have the description of the people's faces being covered in soot. 
right, uh, uh, in ayat 40 to 42, the people of the fire. And then in this surah, we find out why that is the case in ayat number 12, because the hellfire is blazing. So again, you see these parallels. In ayat, in, in Abasa, uh, ayat 38 uh, and, and 39, you find that faces are beaming with joy. And in this surah, you find out why, because Jannatul Uzlifat, paradise is getting close. So again, you see these parallels. Also, the previous surah, surah Abasa, highlighted the nobility of scripture, talking about this the, this Qur'an being something noble from ayat 11 to 16. Here, we're learning about those who delivered this revelation and how they are noble. Speaking about Jibreel alayhi salam from ayat 19 to 21 and the Prophet from ayat 22 to 25. So, you, in the previous surah, it's talking about the nobility of the scripture and now here, how it's been brought to us. So, a parallel as well. And furthermore, in terms of questioning, I thought this was quite interesting. In surah Abasa, you have the disbelievers questioning the Prophet in a careless manner, from ayat 5 to 6. Now in this surah, Allah Ta'ala is questioning them in a stern, serious manner, where do you think you're going, right? So subhanAllah, you see this, this theme of questioning and how it's going in two different directions. And of course, both surahs refer to the Qur'an as a reminder. This Qur'an is a pow powerful reminder to whoever wants to remember, as Allah mentions in ayat 11 and 12, in surah Abasa, and in this surah, you, you find that Allah Ta'ala says this is a reminder, a powerful reminder for all the people who wish to take the right, right course but only by the permission of Allah, which is the conclusion of the surah, ayat 27 to 29. Now, in terms of the breakdown, there's, I'm going to go through two different methods of breaking this down, both of which I find fascinating. One is a very broad breakdown of the surah. You have 14 ayat, 14 ayat, and then one concluding ayat. That's one way of breaking it down. The first 14 ayat is what? The reality of judgment day. Then the next 14, from 15 to 28, the next 14 ayat are talking about what? The reality of revelation. So you have 14 ayat, 14 ayat, and then that gets you to 28, and then the 29th ayat is what? Reminding you that yes, you might think, and I'm gonna talk about this when we get there finally, uh, to the last ayat, you might think that after I have given you the hope and fear, the combination of hope and fear, right? 14 ayat about the fear of judgment day, and then 14 ayat about the positive uh, uplifting, hopeful message about revelation, you might think that my desire to give you this hope and fear is something that is being offered to you. Why? Because I'm desperate for your guidance. But the, the, so the final ayah is a clarification. By the way, you're not going to get, it's not, it's not up to you entirely. Yes, you should try your best to get guidance, but you will not get it unless I allow you to. So subhanAllah, just a very powerful reminder, the last ayah saying what? that don't, don't, get, don't get arrogant. Don't start thinking like, oh, look how desperate God wants me to be guided. No, 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 there's no desperation here. You can only, it's, it's not for my benefit, it's for your benefit. And you can only get there if I actually guide you. So the fact that you have this breakdown, I, th I find quite uh, beautiful, subhanAllah. We should remember that the Prophet said about this, hadith, uh, this, uh, this surah, as well as the three other surahs, I mentioned this each time we talked about this, these three surahs, the Prophet said what? In Tirmidhi, it's a Hassan hadith. مَنْ سَرَّهُ أَنْ يَنْظُرَ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ كَأَنَّهُ رَأْيُ عَيْنٍ فَلْيَقْرَأْ إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِرَتْ وَإِذَا السَّمَاءٌ فَطَرَتْ وَإِذَا السَّمَاءٌ شَقَّتْ That the Prophet said, whoever wishes to look to see Judgment Day as if he's seeing it with his own eyes, as in very clear descriptions of Judgment Day, then let him recite basically Surah 81, 82, and 84. These uh, 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 three suwar of the Qur'an, and this is going to be uh, the final one in this uh, in this. Uh, you could say, uh, this, this, this bunching or this group. Now, in terms of this surah having 29 ayat, I thought it was interesting to note that other surahs that have 29 ayat are Surah Al-Fatih and Surah Al-Hadid. What, is there some sort of parallel between them? I have no idea, but I just thought it's good, worth mentioning. In terms of a ring structure, I always try to see if there is a ring structure, and I want to remind everybody that these are hypothetical or theoretical. Like, you can't say for a fact 
that this is the only way to see it. But I do think it is quite remarkable, subhanAllah, when you do pay attention and see if there is a ring structure going on. So anybody following along in the Mus'haf, you can pay attention and see if my, my, my description is accurate. If you take a look at the first 11 ayat, you see an incredible ring structure. What do I mean? Well, let's think about the first two ayat. They're about the sun and the stars, right? So, sun and stars are where? In the sky. Seems pretty obvious. Then the 11th ayah is what? It's also talking about the sky, talking about being it, it being peeled back. So you have oh, number one and two, and then 11. This parallel, the sky and the sky. Good. Next, closer, you have what? Ayah number three and ayah number 10. Ayah number three is talking about what? The mountains being spread, right? When the mountains are spread out. Then you have the scrolls being spread out. Do you see the parallel? Two things being spread out. So you have this parallel between these two. Then you get closer. You get what? Ayah number four, which is talking about what? This one I find is the most powerful. Ayah number four and then ayat uh, eight and nine. These two have the clearest parallel in my opinion, uh, which is what? Something precious being abandoned. When the, the Arabs who would see that the most precious thing you could have is a pregnant she-camel. Right? Why? Because it's going to produce another baby, so that's clearly more wealth for you. Plus, it's going to start giving milk. Very wealthy. And it's referring to what? The she-camel being pregnant, as in it has a baby. Then on the other side, you have ayat 8 and 9. The pregnant, when, when the baby girl, so you can see the reference to pregnancy here, when the baby girl was abandoned, when they were buried, asking, and then the question is, for what reason was I buried? So you have this incredible parallel between pregnancy, so how is it possible that you have so much care and so much um, uh, uh, value for material wealth, but then when it comes to your own flesh and blood, you're willing to throw it away? And then on Judgment Day, everything's going to be flipped. You're not on Judgment Day. You're not going to care about that material wealth, but you will be nervous when the little girl is being asked, "Why did they kill you? Why did they bury you alive?" So Subhanallah, that parallel seems extremely powerful. Then you go one ring closer. The concept of gathering. Uh, you have what either which is I number five, and then I number seven, which is وَإِذَا النُّفُوسُ زُوِّجَتْ So both of them have to do with gathering. One is talking about when the animals will all be gathered together, and then in the next one you have when all the human beings will be bunched and paired together. So you have both themes of pairing and uh, coming together in those two. And then what is at the center? The center is وَإِذَا الْبِحَارُ سُجِّرَتْ When the oceans are ablaze. Why would that be the center of this, of this entire ring structure? Allah knows best, but perhaps because just like everything else is paradoxical, it's like contrasting, one of the things that we would never think of, when you think of water, you don't think of it on fire. So in the same way, that one eye in of itself is creating, like you could say, a paradox. How is it that water is ablaze? SubhanAllah, usually water puts fires out. So that's the first 11 ayat and how you have a ring structure. And Allah knows best. Then you have from ayat 12 to 18, you have another ring structure here. I apologize if this gets a little long. Hopefully I'll go through this quickly enough and not bore everybody. But you have what? Eye number 12 and 18. Eye number 12 is talking about what? When hellfire is ablaze, right? So when you think of fire, you think of heat, light, and you think of it breathing in oxygen. And on the other flip side of that, you have uh, when, the, when the dawn, when the dawn brings light, heat, and it breathes, it means to breathe in, literally. So that seems to be a clear parallel. Then you get closer. When heaven gets closer, and then when the night uh, 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 closes in. So two things getting closer. It seems to be a parallel, and Allah knows best. Then you have what? Two journeys ends. When you reach your journey's end, 
you will know exactly what you did. And of course, al-jawar al-kunnas, which is what? Referring to the end of the journey of the night star. When you see, let's say, a shooting star, it, it, it moves and then it reaches its end. So both of these things are talking about the endings and how the journeys end of a human being and of a star. And then at the center of all this is ayah number 15, which is what? The oath. Allah is taking a great oath, so clearly that's at the center. And then from ayat 19 to 25, you have another uh, uh, paralleling, if you will, or, or um, uh, what's it called, uh, ring structure. This, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ and وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَيْطَانٍ رَجِيمٍ This is pretty obvious because they both have the word قَوْل in it, statement, right? Allah is saying what? This is the statement of a noble messenger. This is not the statement of a shaytan. It seems like these two are quite clearly parallel. Then from ayah number 20 and 24, you have the quwwatin inda dil arshin makin saying what? Disbelievers can't harm the source of this, this truth. This truth is coming from a firm and a powerful source. You can't stop it. And also, you won't be able to stop the Prophet. He will not hold anything back. He will not cover or withhold any information. So you see another parallel between the two that these two are going together. Disbelievers can't stop the source and disbelievers can't stop the delivery. You can't stop this message from coming. Then you have ayat, ayat 21 and 23, how they are together. It's both talking about Jibreel salam being followed. Muta'in thamma ameen. Jibreel is followed in the heavens and then in the, on earth. Jibreel is followed by the Prophet on earth. So Jibreel is being followed in both places. And what's at the center of this? It's The center's ayah is what? Your, your companion, the Prophet he is not crazy whatsoever. And then the, the final three ayat, 26, and then 27 and 28 is the center, and then 29. Where do you choose to go? And then Allah Ta'ala 29 is saying, what? You cannot, you, can, you cannot choose without Allah choosing. So these two seem to go together, and then the center of that being uh, ayat 27 and 28, saying what? That the Qur'an is a reminder for whoever wants to live a straight life. So this is my breakdown, and Allah knows best, but I, to me it seems very powerful, and it gives you a lot of appreciation about how certain themes are being uh, mentioned. I hope that uh, has some, uh, uh, you, can, you can appreciate the ring structure there. So, after this long introduction, I hope that wasn't too long, we start. And inshallah, we're just going to cover this one ayah today. But Allah Ta'ala says, meaning when. Uh, and this is usually when for the past tense. means uh, when for the future tense. is in the past tense. Now you'd wonder why is something being referenced in the past tense if it's going to happen in the future and the answer is Allah Ta'ala uses the past tense kuwirat uh, to reference something that is a done deal in the future. And we even use this in common language today. Like if you tell me, hey tomorrow, uh, are you going to come to my place? I'm like, it's done. That means what? It's not technically done, it's not actually in the past, but I'm saying that it's so guaranteed that it's as if it's already done. So the idha makes it future and then the kuwirat, the past tense, makes it something absolute. So the ver- yes, um, now the normal sentence structure that you would expect is what? When the sun is wrapped up, Allah Ta'ala takes these two words and flips them around. And the question is, why? Why is there the reversal? Well, the abnormal structure could highlight how abnorm- abnormal this time will be. Because you're so used to the sun shining, you're not used to it being wrapped up and covered. Number two could be, the reversal makes the sentence more emphatic, a taqsis, or, 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 or uh, excuse me, um, yeah, a tawqeed, a tawqeed, more emphatic. And a third possibility, which I think is very beautiful, is the idea is that when you think of the word sun or star, it gives you a certain mental image. So Allah Ta'ala begins with that. Ida shamsu, okay, you think of shams, okay, I know what the sun looks like. Kuwirat, now it's something abnormal, and it shocks you. 
I can't imagine the sun being wrapped up. How does that work? If it was the other way around, then the kuwirat would come first and the shams would come after, so it wouldn't have that same powerful effect, and Allah knows best. So it seems to be, uh, you know, to give you the mental image and then to take that away and to give you something abnormal and strange from it. And also, it's also interesting, like I said, that it's always in the passive. Why? Because you're not supposed to be thinking about the doer. Of course, Allah Ta'ala is the one who controls all of this, but at this moment, when Allah Ta'ala is painting this picture, just imagine these things happening without wondering who's behind all of it. Just imagine these things happening, and that's because it's, it's addressing the disbelievers. This is, this is early Mecca Qur'an, so it's addressing skeptics. So forget about uh, who's the one doing it, that's from the unseen. But what you can see is what's taking place in front of you. Now this verb, kawwara yukawwiru, what does it mean? Usually it's used as kawwara uh, al-imamah. Kawwara al-imamah, I'm sure you guys have seen somebody puts on, let's say, a, a, a kufi or a topi, right, on their head, and then what do they do? They take this long cloth, they put it on, you know, on their head, and then they start to wrap it, right? That action of wrapping is uh, kawwara, the verb kawwara, to wrap and eventually wrap it all around and make it a nice turban on top of your head. So Allah Ta'ala is describing uh, this, this process of the, of the shams, of the sun, being wrapped in this way. So it could be that just as the sun's light stretches out, so too does the cloth of a turban stretch out just before it gets wrapped up, so too Allah Ta'ala will wrap up the sun's light. This is the most common understanding of this ayah. Some understand this to mean that the sun will be wrapped up by something else, so its light will be covered, and Allah Ta'ala knows best. Now, the big question we have to ask ourselves is, why is the words wa'idha, wa'idha, wa'idha mentioned each time? You know, you could just say when the sun is wrapped up, and when this happens, and when this happens. You don't have to say and when, and when, and when. You don't have to keep repeating the words wa'idha, and when. But it is repeated from ayat 1 to 13, with the exception of one ayah. So, why is that the case? Well, it could be to build suspense, للتشويق. Uh, uh, to build suspense. And when, and each time it's said, it builds more suspense. It could be to build fear, to build intimidation. Or it could be because, it could be because each event deserves to be contemplated independently. Because if you were to say when this happens and this happens and this happens all together, you'd think of it just as one jumbled event. But when you actually take the time to think of one, each one separately, then you have more appreciation. The Prophet ﷺ said in this regard, الشمس والقمر مكوران يوم القيامة that the sun and the moon will be folded up on the day of resurrection. This verb kawwara occurs twice in the, uh, three times in the Qur'an, once here in this surah and also in uh, uh, surah uh, Zumar, ayah number five, when Allah says, يُكَوِّرُ اللَّيْلَ عَلَى النَّهَارِ وَيُكَوِّرُ النَّهَارِ عَلَى اللَّيْلِ So that's the three times, two in this ayah, which means what? He wraps the night over the day and he wraps the day over the night. By the way, this is a very interesting ayah because how could you explain that Allah Ta'ala is describing the day and the night wrapping over each other unless you have this concept that the earth is round. That's you know, something that really, you can only make sense of it, like just the same way the head is you know, roughly round shape and you have something wrapping around it, in the same way the earth is being described in a way, what? It's getting wrapped and Allah knows best. The final point that I'd like to mention is a little bit of homework for you all in Ta'ala, because I think it's just fascinating. I was trying to understand how could we understand this from a scientific perspective. Now, again, this is speculation. I'm going to say, warning, warning, speculation, okay? But still, I think it's worth uh, searching into, looking up, just because it's really quite amazing. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Has anybody ever looked up a, a tidal disruption event? A tidal disruption event. Has anybody looked that up? No? So I, I recommend, go on your phones, inshallah, you know, go when you go home, Google search what a tidal disruption event looks like, because it's truly remarkable. Basically, I'll try to give you the visual, but you can go home and look it up yourselves, inshallah. Uh, I was looking at some, some videos about it, and what they were showing was 
This is something that only recent, only recent science has looked into this because obviously we didn't have these telescopes that can look deep into the universe. And so what they saw was a black hole. Now you can't see a black hole itself, but you can see how it you know, distorts the image around it, and et cetera. Anyway, so this black hole, apparently, what happens is, this is please bear, <laughs> please be patient with my non-so-professional descriptions, but anyway, a black hole being this gigantic, heavy mass that sucks in everything, including light, right? Appar these things are moving around. And by the way, black holes have a spin. So kuwirat, something that spins, anyway, well, but anyway, this black hole, apparently we have, uh, in history, observed very, very far away, I don't know how many millions of uh, light years away, a black hole getting closer and closer to a star, right? And we know that the sun is a star, but anyway. So getting closer to a star, and what you see when it happens is that, uh, and you, I, again, I, I suggest you look at it yourself so you can get my exact point. You see this star shining bright, and then the, the base of it, or the, 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 the portion of it that's closest, starts to almost get sucked into it. And because the uh, black hole has a rotation, you see it start to wrap around it. And it's really quite incredible. I remember I paused the video when I was showing my family, and I was like, just, just, I paused it for a second. I said, look at this. You have this sort of dark mass thing, and then you have this light source being sucked and wrapped around it as, this, as the, the light of this, this star gets ripped away from it until eventually, as they describe it, they say this is how a black, uh, a black hole will eat a star through this uh, tidal disruption event. Uh, and so in the process of it doing that, it's as if the light is being pulled and being wrapped around it. And if you, if you just look at it and watch it, and you'll be like, subhanAllah, it almost looks like there's this round, you could say almost like a head-like thing, and then this light being just wrapped around it until it swallows it up, until the light gets completely uh, consumed. Again, this is hypothetical. Please don't take this as absolute fact. I'm simply saying, to me, when I was watching it, I was like, subhanAllah, maybe, maybe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing how perhaps a black hole will be approaching our universe and will be sucking up everything in its vicinity, including the sun, and when this event finally does eventually take place, it will create this image that really looks exactly like, obviously this doesn't take place in one moment, this is gonna take place over a long period of time, but still, I was describing how eventually it will suck it up, and that will cause this sort of wrapping image that we now have an idea of. Uh, which, by the way, could be supported by the future ayat that will I'm gonna talk about how those ayat also have some parallel with the characteristics of a black hole as well, which is really quite remarkable, subhanAllah. Uh, so, wallahu ta'ala alam, this is all hypothetical, but it still is, I would say, quite fascinating. And with that, I will close and I'll open up for comments and questions. Jamal al khairan, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.